Welcome to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us as Deb talks with her guests, experts in their fields, as they share real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. Good morning, good morning. I am Deb Creer, and I am passionate about working with professionals to give them the tools to make themselves and their businesses as successful as possible. And we're going to have a great discussion today with someone who is at the forefront of really helping companies achieve their visions and achieve their goals is maybe the, the one of the, the best ways to put that by becoming such an important part of what they do, what they are, and helping them raise money to do it and, and to, to make those goals. So please join me in welcoming Greg Centineo to our program today. Hey, Deb, good, good to be here with you. Well, you know, we really are going to have so much fun, and you're going to be a guest that's a little bit different from what we normally talk about, because most of our topics are, how do you send out direct mail? What's SEO mean? What's a backlink? You know, all these various things. And, of course, all of that is important, and it can't be, you know, you have to have all those things, but what we're going to talk about is kind of the much bigger picture and how you can truly help organizations succeed with what they what their goals are. So before we jump in, let me tell people just a little bit about you. So over the last three decades of Greg Centineo's life, he has followed the path of entrepreneur, entrepreneurism, leading him to a variety of industries and profound business startups. Through his achievements, he has mastered the art and the psychology of what moves people to believe in an idea, invest in an idea, and commit their time and energy to help create that idea. Greg's groundbreaking project, Legends of Oz, Dorothy Returns, illustrated his immense skills by raising $122 million through 1,300 investors engaging thousands of people to believe in his idea, invest in his idea, and commit their time and energy to help birth the idea. So, okay, right there, Greg, you just blew me away. (laughs) That's a lot of money. That's a big project. So let's just jump in by talking about Legends of Oz, Dorothy's Return. What the heck is it? Uh, Well, it's an animated featured film. Mm -hmm. Um based on the, it was actually sequel to The Wizard of Oz, okay. uh, eventually had an A-list cast, and it was released uh, on a wide, a wide release here in the States, mm-hmm. 4,000 screens and uh, massive territories overseas. And it was the first time in, in Hollywood history that an independent production company ever attempted and succeeded to create an animation franchise similar to the Disney's, the DreamWorks, and the Pixar's. Wow. So what made you decide this was something that you even want to get involved with? That's great. I mean, great question. I I had no prior experience within the Hollywood model. And um, I just was contacted and the idea was given to me. They had already already started processing the concepts and trying to move forward. But unfortunately, it was during the recession. You know, it's beginning 2007. Um, I thought it was a great idea. Deb, just like, you know, anything, I, I hear a lot of ideas and I thought this idea was spectacular. It was, um, it was allowing an independent production company to engage investors and, and potentially, you know, uh, rip through the veil of the animation industry, which has been dominant 
by the three major studios right. um, for decades. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and, and you're right. It's it's the big companies. It's Disney. It's you know, and and Disney's the big dog on the block. Um, you know, and and then the others that are smaller, but obviously still multi-billion-dollar organizations. It you know, it's so you were brought on board to help get investors, correct? Yeah, more than that, you know, because I don't really get investors. My history isn't. I wasn't. I'm not a fundraiser. I'm not a broker. You know, I'm. I'm a guy that kind of turns ideas into reality. Okay. Um. So I have a great, great history of attracting large numbers of people mm-hmm. to come goals. And so, um, even before we knew that's exactly what it was that I did. Mm-hmm. Um, but they called me because they needed they needed leadership. Um, on how to actually, you know, build this, navigate this, do what no one's ever done before. And so it was not a $122 million project when I stepped into it. It was at that point just a $20 million project. Um, but as we began to, to dive into this and structure it and, and begin to have some success, we then went for the, went for the gold, if you would. Mm-hmm. So you were kind of the... I mean, it's it's not the producer or anything like that because that is a very different role. It it just it it fascinates me that you were brought in to do this, and so you you mentioned that you got people involved. How did you do that? It's it's great great question. You know, it's like anything, right? You had a pro we had a project. Um, mm-hmm. It had value. Um, it had opportunity. And so, um, basically it's the same reason that I got involved, mm-hmm. you know? So it was the kind of the things that attracted me to the project. I then began to, uh, communicate those values to others around me. Um, you know, communicating that, look, this is a phenomenal opportunity. Probably at that day, Deb, in that time, it was the great, would be probably the greatest opportunity that most people would have heard in their lifetime. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, they never, never, nobody really gets phone calls from Disney, DreamWorks, or Pixar to invest in one of their successful animation franchises Mm -hmm. to do billions of dollars. So that, that created opportunity. Um, And so people engaged into that, into that potential um, chance to succeed, uh, to find, you know, an opportunity is a pathway to potentially have massive success. And this was an opportunity for massive success. And so people engaged into that, into that idea and wanted to be part of something a lot larger than themselves. Mm-hmm. Well, and was it easier or did it make it more difficult that it was a story that everyone was familiar with? Um, you know, Oz and Dorothy and, you know, Toto and, and all of those characters are things that hold a, a very special place in many people's hearts. So did you find that, I mean, obviously they knew what it was about, but did you find it more difficult to get people interested or did they say, oh my gosh, we have to tell this story? Right. That was one of the, that was one of the, the value points was the, the existing brand recognition of the Wizard of Oz and it was global. I, at that time it was, it was still the number one all time movie musical in history. It was ranked in the top 10 movies of all time mm-hmm. and it was globally recognized so that really so that made it easier uh people looked at that brand it 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 made it more appetizing to get involved because we were with an existing recognized brand globally so people you know jumped on board partially for that reason well and i'm assuming that in some ways it did make it easier that it was animated as opposed to somebody going 
you cannot ever replace Judy Garland. <laughs> and, you know, so did, did the fact that it was animated make it an easier uh, story for people to grasp? Yes, big time. Because even for myself, if it was if it was going to be a live action film, I would not have engaged into the project because I wasn't interested in doing live action film. Uh, we all know the risk levels in those in those projects are, are really off the charts. The animation industry is very different because it's more of a franchise than it is just a movie, mm-hmm. which means there's there's hundreds of, in most cases, thousands of other ancillaries that are associated with the movie. And the movie actually becomes the least performing revenue stream in the entire animation franchise. It drives mo- uh, merchandising and, and tremendous uh, ancillaries mm-hmm. of decades. So that made it very appealing that it wasn't just a movie. It was an animated franchise that would have, you know, in our case, I think, believe we had close to 3,600 revenue streams outside of the box office. And so, yeah, so, but again, you had to still achieve those things. There was no guarantee we would even get a merchandising deal because we were dependent and, you know, we didn't even know if we'd raise money. So there was so many, so many obstacles and, um, and ambiguity that surrounded the project. And again, it was also nested right in the middle of the worst global economy in probably a hundred years. You know, so everybody was afraid to invest in anything. Even the wealthy were holding back Mm -hmm. at the time. Countries were going bankrupt. Banks were going bankrupt. So it was not, it was not an optimal time to begin a project like this. And I was told by, uh, I joke around, but it was the truth. Deb, everybody, everybody that I knew told me, don't do it. You'll never, you'll never get this. You'll never raise the money, number one, let alone get it to market. Right. Well, and it's interesting because I um, had another guest on recently who Mm -hmm. is in that industry. And that's what she does is she's, you know, she, she's kind of the matchmaker to put together a lot of things like that. And one of the things she told me is that there are 7,000 movies made a year. And that's start to finish. I mean, you know, that's not the projects that never get done or, you know, get partway through and lose their funding or things like that. So, I mean, just the fact that that you were having to compete with the 6,999 other movies is just a daunting task. Well, take it it a step further. Only 600 of the 7,000 make it to box office. Right. So it's it's it was incredible odds that were mounted against us. That's what I would say to the investors, potential investors during the first four years of that project. I told them, you know, you you know, if you invest, you just prepare to lose all your money because you are not going to succeed. I said we wouldn't succeed. And they would ask me a simple question. Then 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 why do it? And I said, just in case we do, it's where I think it's the opportunity warrants warrants the chance to try. Mm-hmm. That's what I felt, you know, there's a difference, you know, is get up every day and do you believe you're going to actually raise a hundred million dollars in the worst economy in global history. Do you believe you're going to be the first independent to actually, you know, uh, finish an animated featured film and then release it in theaters domestically and worldwide and, and then generate 3,600 revenue streams? Of course not. You'd be out of your mind if you believe that. But the belief was, was founded and rooted in the ability to get up and try mm-hmm. every to do it and it was that tenacity of trying every day and figuring it out and solving the problems uh, that got us to the you know to the success of, of achieving it right so what did happen with the movie um you know and 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 i said i don't have children so you know i don't tend to to pay a lot of attention to animated movies 
you know, did you make the, the bazillion dollars or, you know, what, what happened with the project? Yeah, well, the project, it, you know, it excelled at on all levels. It actually delivered everything it ever promised. And, and it, its achievement was unprecedented in history here in L.A. Mm-hmm. and probably in a lot of startups. Um, the mistake that was made at the end, and I use that term loosely because it's, it's, it's easier today to say what, you know, what the mistake was, but mm-hmm. during the time, you didn't have many options. The distribution company, which was the only third-party company that had its hand in the film, and it was at the end, uh, which means that the, we did this all ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, we controlled every aspect of the film, of the franchise. But at the end, we, we needed a distributor, Right. And it was handed off to a distributor. We gave the distributor $32 million to market the project. Mm-hmm. Which seems like should be enough. Well, that's a wide release. So there's, this, mm-hmm. it was the first independent wide release in Hollywood history. So mm-hmm. we had a wide release, 4,000 screens. But they mismanaged the $32 million And they did a, we would say, at best, a mediocre job at marketing the project. And so many wanted to see it, but few knew when it was coming out. So it didn't have a robust box office like it should have had. It had about an $8 million domestic box office. We needed at least a 20 to $25 million to have, to have really created the helium in those revenue streams. Mm-hmm. Um, but the film, the, the franchise you know, was released worldwide. It, it had a so, slow start. I actually stepped back in with some key people over the last 24 months, and we're actually looking to generate and get that back, back on track. Well, and of course, the cool thing now is there's so many other avenues that it can be released in. You know, by the time you have Netflix and Amazon Video and all of those various places, you know, movies that were made 10 years ago, <laughs> even five years ago, are fresh movies when they come out on those those platforms. Yeah, absolutely. We're on those platforms now. So we had full distribution. We're on Netflix. And you can actually, well, I encourage people to watch. The movie's fantastic. Uh, it was 90% um, like rating. Uh, kids loved it. It was really well done. A-cast, phenomenal music by um, uh, Brian Adams did the soundtrack. Toby Chu score. Oh, it was a world-class team of, of of producers and entertainers that John Leah Michelle was the star of the movie, Patrick Stewart, you know, uh, Wait a minute. you had Captain Picard. Oh, oh yeah. We had, we had the captain, man. That was one of the great experiences of going to his voiceover and getting a chance to meet him and spend some time with him. And, um, yeah, Kelsey Grammer, Ackroyd, Belushi, uh, you Dancy, um, Bernadette Peters, Oliver Platt, amazing cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, led by Leah Michelle uh, fantastic film, Deb, and uh, anybody that watches it have kids, nephews, you know, it's 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 really great to watch, very inspiring, and uh, well done, well done. Right. Well, and it is one of those movies that has a happy ending, um, you know, and, and, and there's not lots of blood and ick and all those various things, so, you know, I'm going to tell folks right now, hello, if you have kids that are, are you know, out, out on school break, it's probably a pretty good movie that you can have occupy their time for a while. Oh yeah, by far. It's great. They'll watch it over and over and over again. It's it really did. It did well in the testings. Mm-hmm. Great even in the market. It did it did fantastic. So I would really encourage uh, people to watch it. But that that was that project was, you know, I always say the Deb, it wasn't the, the movie 
really wasn't the story. It was actually what was the real movie was the, the people behind that that were actually doing the impossible. We actually have an interesting statistic that that project employed over 3,300 people worldwide during the recession. And well, and it's, you're thinking, yeah, I mean, this is an animated movie. And so, you know, kind of everybody's impression is, well, it's like four or five people. No. <laughs> Thousands of people were employed worldwide. And that's, you know, we're very proud. Uh, still to this day, even the investors are very, very proud to have been part of something like that mm-hmm. and to have achieved the success of getting it into the marketplace. That alone was a massive undertaking. And let alone to have been able to, to employ people during, you know, one of the worst global recessions. Um, it was just an it was a time of our lives and a lot of fun as Disney said it's fun to do the impossible mm-hmm. Great. Great. well let's let's kind of dial it down because a lot of my listeners are small business owners and entrepreneurs and I know you work with smaller businesses you know those those that aren't needing quite 122 million dollars so how do you work with smaller organizations to help them achieve their goals Deb, that's a great question. Every single project I've done was a, started as an idea. There was no, let alone, there was no, there was an idea and no organization. So, we've always started from what we call backyard. So, we every project we've taken on, even the Michael Jackson hologram uh, with the Pulse Company, that we started that in John Texas' backyard in 2013, mm-hmm. brought it to the Billboard Awards in 2014. So. These are, I work directly with achieving, taking an idea and framing a story around that idea. You know, I always say there's two things that that people will ask, and not just investors. Everyone always thinks it's about investors, Deb. It says, no. And most people look at the Oz Project and say, oh, man, I can't believe you guys raised all that money. It was amazing. I said, wait, back up. If you think that was hard, how how do you think, how difficult do you think it was building a team prior to raising the $122 million? To believe in your idea, commit their time, skills, and energy to your idea so you can create something. I mean, that's, so business is, is two things. It's the ability to get people to believe in what you're doing. I tell my kids and I tell others all the time, nobody really cares about your idea. Really, nobody cares. You know, so they've got their own plans and dreams. and Absolutely. They, and, and so... So if your idea is going to come to fruition, you better, you better be the one leading it. Now, I say after that, Deb, the problem you're going to have with that is any, you can do really good things by yourself, but anything of substance or magnitude is going to require others. And so you need others. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, you have to convince others to embrace your idea as their idea and your dream as their dream. Otherwise, you ain't going to put it, put it together. So... It's in anything that you're doing out there, whether you're a small business owner right now and you want to scale your company, then you have to get people to believe in what you're doing. And Mm -hmm. there needs to be several things behind that, not just belief, but it's belief with confidence, conviction and passion. And uh, when you listen, when I when I do something, Deb, I, I, I don't choose to do it unless I believe in it. And then once I believe in it, I get really confident Mm -hmm. what I'm doing. It doesn't mean I'm, 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 I'm out there telling everybody, oh, we're going to do this no matter what. No, that's not confidence. Confident is that I believe in it, and therefore I, I'm confident in getting up every day and pouring my life into it. And then third, being convicted. You have a conviction that this has to happen. One of the questions I always ask when a company or an individual comes to me with, with their idea or brand, and, I, and, they, and they give me the idea, and I ask them, one of the questions I ask, if this doesn't happen, does it really matter? 
<laughs> I mean, you know, it, does it really matter? Uh, and if, if it, they go, eh, well, then that's a pretty big red flag. Right. Is it going to, you know, is it going to really impact the world? Mm-hmm. You know, I had, I had a gentleman come over to me. He, I won't tell you what it is because you'll probably know who it is. But he came over to me and he showed me his idea. And I thought it was a great idea. But it just, even if we we pulled it off, it just, you know, it wasn't going to have, it wasn't going to be a life-changing event for anybody in their lives. It wasn't, you know, take it or leave it. And so I don't do it if it's take it or leave it. But you as a business owner have to really believe in what you're doing. You have to know the why behind it. Mm-hmm. You know, Deb, it's funny when somebody would ask me during the Oz days about the project, you know, I would just tell them why I was committing, committing my life to this and my own money. I invested in myself as my kids did, my siblings, my, my relatives, my friends of 30, 40 years. Mm-hmm. You know, we were committed to the project. And so when you shared why, you know, people looked at me and I told them why part of my, the story was why I'm doing this, why I'm getting up every day and choose to put my mind and skills and resources to make this a reality. You know what happens? People begin to understand this, this belief, this conviction, this confidence, and this passion behind it. And that's what people want to jump on board with. Mm-hmm. Well, and it carries forward to when you actually have that product or that service. If you're not passionate about it, just, and, you know, there, there's a lot of obviously products that, you know, don't don't make people jump up and down and, and scream and, and holler for, for, you know, because it's the greatest thing in the world. But you still have to maybe it's that you want to help people. You want to have business owners be successful, you know, all these various things. And if you're just going through the motions, people know. And they're like, eh, you know, I'll go, I'll, I'll go buy that toner cartridge from Amazon instead. Yeah, I mean, take take Tom's shoes for instance. Mm-hmm. I mean, so it's shoes, sneakers, you know, and let alone canvas. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you came to me with that idea and said, hey, I want to do these shoes, and they're really it's canvas, and it's really light and it's cheap, and you know, that's who cares? But you know what? When when Tom says that for every every shoe bought, we're going to donate shoes to the needy. All of a sudden now you created a culture. You created something bigger than shoes. Mm-hmm. And that's a thriving company today. I think it's bom- Bomba Socks. Uh, right. The, they, for every pair of socks, they donate a pair of socks. To the homeless. And you st- all of a sudden now you've taken something that's just, uh, it's socks. No, now it's more than socks. And so do you see what I mean by story? And, and you're creating something that's passionately driven by belief in doing something bigger than just the socks. Again, most of the things that surround us really don't matter, right? We make them matter because we bring some value to it. So if you're a small business owner out there or a mid-sized business owner, or a large, I, I know large business owners that are producing stuff that really doesn't matter and making tens if not hundreds of millions of dollars, but there's no real purpose behind it other than making And so what's the sense of doing that if it's all about just making money? Mm-hmm. So one of the things is obviously to get the best team that that you that you can. So how do you find the right people and how do you know if they're not the right people? Well that's a loaded question and but I'll I'll give I'll do a good job I think of answering that for. You know, I'm always looking for the right people. Mm-hmm. And um the right people are good people. You know, not necessarily the skill, not necessarily the people from your actual industry, mm-hmm. um, because you look for people that have certain characteristics. You know, I say for one, Deb, I look for people that that's, that speak 
a language I call the language of can, C-A-N. Mm-hmm. And they live philosophically. Their, their worldview, their mindset is they believe they can do anything. And even if they haven't done it yet, they believe that we can do anything rather than we can't. And so I look for people that have a very strong mindset uh, that believe that the world that we live in is, is loaded with opportunities and there's no limits on what we can achieve if we set our minds and energies to. So those, you find right people. And uh, if I talk to somebody and, and they're pessimistic all the time and it's all about how bad things are for them and they just need a, it, that, I would never bring that person on. Even if they're the most skilled person in that specific industry, I would never bring them on because because it's an uphill battle with somebody like that compared to somebody that believes, really believes that they can do anything. I can teach them skills, mm-hmm. right? But you can't teach them to believe, right. teach them to have passion. So, you know, I find, I look for those types of people and even my interview processes for, for team players last 45, sometimes 60 days. And I'm not just interviewing in my office. I'm going to their kids' baseball games. I want to mm-hmm. see, I want to see who their family is. I want to see how they interact with their family. I want to see their extended community. Uh, because when you hire somebody, uh, whether you like it or not, you're hiring everybody around them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, their influences, their friends, and so forth. So I like to really engage because I'm going to ask them to engage mm-hmm. my world as well. So um, it's the first thing you do. So you find the right people with the, with the right mindset that speak the correct language of can. You know, and it's interesting because I work with people um, and, and on how to use social media when they're looking for a job. And it all ties into exactly what you were saying. You know, I, I tell people what you're posting on social media and what your friends are posting gives a potential employer an idea of what you're like. You know, if you're posting that you can't wait to get out the door on Friday to go party all weekend... Mm-hmm. That, you know, your or, or your friends are posting that because there is this thing called guilt by association. Yeah. Um, you know, all these various things. Now, we still have to be authentic. I, you know, and, and that is the tricky part is we can't be, you know, Miss, Miss Pollyanna and Miss Perfect on social media. And that's really not the way we are. But employers and investors and, you know, people who want to buy a product or service you have – they really are researching you. Um, and, and I don't care what size the company it is. You know, look at how many people turn away from a company just because they hear one bad thing about them. Um, you know, and, 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 we're, and, 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 and it's because we can go somewhere else pretty easily. So why not self, set yourself up to succeed as opposed to setting yourself up to fail? Yeah, so true. I, I think you make really great points, Deb. Um, especially, you know, with social media, you know, many years ago, Orwell's book, 1984, talked about big brother. Well, you know, big brother is here. It's, it's, our, it's our phones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so, you know, we don't have to go really far to know who you are. We just have to go to your Facebook page, your Instagram page, your Snapchat, and we'll get a pretty good window to who you are and what you're doing. And, um, if it's a good fit for us and, but, you know, at the same time, even for, for business owners or people that are building their brand, social media is really important. I call it, but it's not a primary source. It's, a, it's right. what I call a secondary source. Mm-hmm. You know, be your authentic self. I really speak about that very often to business leaders and entrepreneurs and thought leaders about being your authentic self. 
What you see is, is what you get. It's really important. Mm-hmm. And then your social media just substantiates that. You know, it, 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 communi- it, sec- it seconds who you say you are. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you, and so it has a really great place. And so there's not a better opportunity today in the world than, than to grow your brand, to grow who you are, to grow your authentic self using social media as a secondary platform. Um, you know, if you, if you Google me, uh, you know, everything that I tell people it's happened to me, it's there, the good and the bad, you know, uh, if a film fails, film failed, you know, if something succeeds, it succeeds. Um, and so when people look at, look, look at me on those platforms, it's this cohesiveness, there's, there's consistency to that. And so build your companies, build your brands with that. Now, again, people are going to say negative things about you and that's okay, but people are going to say positive things about you too. And so there's, it's going to be weighed out. Um, you know, if more are saying negative uh, than positive, then you might want to take a really good hard look at what you're doing. Right. Well, and I also look at how they respond when something negative happens. You know, do they ignore it? Do they, oh, my God, that's not me. I didn't do that. Um, you know, all those various things. Or did they, you know, now you're not always admitting that it was right. You know, and, and of course, right now I'm thinking about all of the various sexual harassment things that have been going around with so many very important people. You know, they can't always come out and say, well, yes, I did that because there really could be legal ramifications. And, you know, it's a different subject. But, you know, if they if they don't try and hide or they don't try and bully or all of those various things, you know, same thing with, you know, say somebody invested and it went south or, you know, whatever. If it's if, if you don't try and hide it, I think that's where people go, oh, yeah, you know, you're you're human um, still might not work with them. But, you know, you, you, you want to know that they're human. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's 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 a big part of it. And you're right. You make a great point, too. Sometimes, you know, those who are being accused of something socially, it's that's not supposed to be a social platform. Right. And they have to be really cautious of responses to that because there are legal ramifications. to Well, and unfortunately, one of the things that happens with social media is it's a huge platform for people to make a lot of unfounded claims. And and that's what does get really tricky is if somebody, you know, and it could be, you know, whoever just posts on Facebook and then it goes viral or, you know, they post a, a picture that has been altered or, you know, all these various things. And so it does make it very difficult for somebody to monitor their, their image and monitor what's going on and, and keep a handle on it. But again, folks, you can't be an ostrich, you know, not in this day and age. No, you can't. You make great points. You know, it's funny, Deb, I heard this the other day that you can actually, and this has been going on. I mean, I see it sometimes on social media. I'll see somebody that I know and uh, they're on a private jet and I'm thinking, wow, look Mm -hmm. at that, man. I'm happy for him, man. He, he's, he must've really hit it big. And, um, and you know, you get really excited now, now you're finding out that they're actually doing these, these photo shoots. They charge between two fifty and $500 an hour. And you can go ahead and you can go sit on the plane and sit. take a picture. Yes. You can sit on the plane like you're flying private and, um, you know, and, and I'm, you know, and it's, it's, well, you know, people, I, I've been astonished at saying, I can't believe this, this guy just hit a big, that's awesome. And then you find out it's, it's not necessarily, you know, it's costing a few hundred dollars and it's creating what we call an image, right. something. And, you know, listen, be careful if you're doing that because you, mm-hmm. when you get found out, that's, that's where it gets really bad. Oh yeah. And, and 
folks, you will be found out. I mean, you know, it doesn't matter what's going on if you're a big movie star or, you know, the, the boss of a small company. Somebody will come forward and say, excuse me. <laughs> so, you know, speaking of kind of personality or leadership flaws, what are some of the, the personality flaws that CEOs might have um, that they don't see but other people see? You know, I've encountered, you know, a lot of great leaders out there and, um, and every great leader, you know, has their flaws. And I think, Mm -hmm. um, I would say they're human. And I think I speak from my own experience. I think one of the things I learned was to kind of, you know, be honest and open about, you you know, the things that you're you're not good at, your flaws. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I found that my teams, uh, by doing that, becoming very transparent, um, it really creates an incredible culture for the entire group um, because it actually, it shows weakness. Right. And I think we were brought up, at least I was brought up in an era, a modern era that said, you know, you never show your weakness. And I understand some of that to a large degree, but I think not, and I talk about when you're actually weak, but I'm talking about there are weaknesses in you that you, to, to be honest and admit that you can't do these things alone, that you need others and your skill sets are not enough on their own. And when you can, when you can honestly and, and be vulnerable with your teams and let them know, you know, about your weaknesses, I think you see some really profound changes in the people around you. Almost, it's almost gives them a license, those around you, you know, to, to be okay with their own deficiencies and to Mm -hmm. be honest with their own deficiencies, because let's face it, you know, I always, I kid around with people, but it's the truth. I say, Hey, cheer up. You're a lot worse than you think. Well, and it's really hard to be yourself when you think you're working for somebody who's perfect, you know, and, and because if you more than anything, you're afraid that if you make a mistake, it's going to be catastrophic. Yeah, I have a, I have a, I call it a ritual if you would, but um, I've always, well, when I build my teams within the first few days, even weeks, I'll approach them and I'll say, listen, if you, if you aren't failing, I'm going to fire you. Mm-hmm. And they would say, what? I said, I'm going to fire you. If you're not failing, I'm going to fire you. And they said, Greg, I got to tell you, I'm doing everything not to fail so I don't get fired. I said, now you tell me if I don't fail. I said, exactly. I said, because if you're not failing, you ain't trying. And trying. You're not taking risks. Right. We ain't going anywhere. You think we're going to raise $100 million by not trying? No. So you have to give people a license. It's It's a whole different mindset on what failure is. In my book, Deb, failure, literally, if you ask me what, what's, what's been the, the major ingredient to all of my successes and achievements, it's been failure. Mm-hmm. And failure represents about 75% of what you're succeeding at because it's, it's trial and error. Mm-hmm. And you have to have a different mindset regarding failure. And uh, unfortunately, you know, many for, for millennials were brought up with, you know, not to fail. Um, but you will not succeed without failure. Right. You know, and, and of course, the important thing is that you learn from that failure. Now, you might make the same mistake. I mean, you know, you never know. But you need to look at that and go, okay, why didn't this work? And what can I fix to try to make it work the next time? Exactly. That's, that's the only way you grow. Right. Now, one of the other things that you say, and you say this on your website and some various places. And so your website is gregcentineo.com. And I'm going to spell that for folks. Because it's G-R-E-G-C-E-N-T-I-N-E-O dot com. 
and we'll say that you know again at the end of the program. But you like to use the phrase chaos. Good, I can't even say it. Chaos creates stability. That is just counterintuitive. So what the heck do you mean by that? <laughs> well, you know, throughout the years, throughout the decades of working, you know, with teams and and understanding how to grow something, how to scale. And I think obviously you've seen my career. I mean, I've scaled every every business I've been in. We started them from, from nothing. And um, and I've come to learn that chaos, you know, is is when stuff's out of control. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as a leader, you know, driving a, a project or driving an idea, I have to create so much in front of me that it, it that it's exponential as it goes out, where it mm-hmm. becomes chaotic, where I can't I don't I, I can't control it. It's larger than me at this point. More people are talking about it than I even know who's talking about it. And so at that point, it becomes chaotic. Mm-hmm. Um, therefore, I'm not controlling it because if I'm if it's still small enough for me to control, we got a problem. Right. But if it's large and it's out of control in the front, it's like almost like riding in the, the front of the beam of light. Mm-hmm. Right. Then I know something is going to happen on a larger scale and it's going to generate stability for the company because people are talking. It's much larger than me. It's one of the issues I found second most powerful issue I found with leaders in their companies or managing their brands is their, their propensity to be control freaks and to micromanage. That is the, that is the complete opposite of what I just said about chaos. It's keeping things controllable by Mm -hmm within your leadership scope. Um, that's going to do everything but grow your company. Um, and you might even have growth. That's not a paradox what I just said, but the point you might be growing, but nowhere near what you should be because you're, you're stunting the growth of the brand or the company because there's not chaos because you have to manage and see and understand and be aware of everything that's going on. And if that case is it's way too small, if it's too small, if something goes wrong, it's going to create instability for the company. Mm-hmm. So in raising 122 million, I mean, there were, there were people talking about our project. It was in Forbes. It was the wall street journal. I didn't even know these people were writing on it. There was people talking about it at, at barbecues and I had no idea, but that would always generate huge levels of interest in the industries, etc. And it ended up creating the stability of, of, of the success of what we were doing. So you have to get comfortable with not knowing and not thinking and then believing that without you, it's not going to happen because in most cases, because of you, it's not going to happen. Does that kind of make sense? To- it does. You know, and, and I was thinking of, of it as, it's kind of like word of mouth. You know, you, you want word of mouth because that's how people buy. That's how they get interested. You know, if I see, excuse me, if I see a television ad for a product, I go, yeah, right. Well, of course, they're going to say that it's the greatest thing in the world. But if my friend who I really don't know on Facebook says, oh, my gosh, this is the coolest thing in the world, I'm, I, you know, I might buy it. But the company has no control over what other people are saying, but they want it to be said in order for that message to be spreading. Well, now you circle back to what we refer to in the beginning of the show, story. You have to tell a compelling story. Right. 
and people want to share. Right, because they want to share. It's funny, I used to, when uh, buying homes, you, a realtor will hand you a business card and they tell you, please, they turn the back of the business card to you and they say, and the back it says, the greatest, the greatest compliment is, is a referral. Right. And, I, and I, I look at them, I go, if you have to ask me for a referral, you didn't do your job. Mm-hmm. You know, I should have a compelling two hours with you where I walk away going, this was a phenomenal, engaging experience with a realtor that was compelling, knew the products, kept me thinking, vision. Or, and then you walk away and go, I got a realtor feed. Right. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. We we built word of mouth because we told a compelling story and we held to the compelling story and it evolved every week, every month. And so that story, when people would listen, whether they invested or not, they were so, so impressed with what we were doing because they understood it. Why? Because we told story. And and so I help, that's what I do today. I help companies, I help leaders, uh, CEOs, uh, understand their companies, understand the power of framing story and generating compelling story, which creates culture and then draws people's attention. You know? So, and that's, that's, Word of mouth. And what do you, I mean, I was under strict, strict SEC guidelines in the, it wasn't like it is today where you can go ahead and post your investment on on the, on the web. I couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. So by telling a compelling story, people would tell everybody they knew about this. They would say, look, I'm not telling you to invest in this, but this was, this is really interesting what's going on. And people were compelled to tell others. And it's, it's hard to let go of that control. You know, you, you mentioned that because you're not quite sure what they say. You know, somewhere along the line, it might morph into something totally different. And then you've got, you know, to rein it back in. But it's the message isn't going to get out there if it's not a fun, a compelling, an interesting message. And again, it needs to be told by other people. Has to be, and you and you empower. You if you control, it's because of fear. Mm-hmm. And I always like to talk about that, and because fear is a is, is a is a guiding force in the universe, as is hope. Mm-hmm. But most people are governed by fear, and right. fear is not a right or a wrong. Fear is either appropriate or inappropriate. And let me explain. If um, I'm I'm in my my apartment here in downtown Los Angeles, and if I if there was no windows, and I was walking on the on the ledge of my windowsill. 19 stories up, um, I would be horrified. I would have the emotion of fear riveting mm-hmm. through my mind and my body. And that's an appropriate emotion of fear right. at, that, mm-hmm. at that time. But when fear kicks in and, allow, and, and, and scares you to the point where you don't trust others and you will not empower people, that's inappropriate right. use of the emotion of fear. And understanding, you know, you don't throw the emotion out because it has a place. Mm-hmm. But you have to begin to manage that emotion because it's going to affect everything you do from micromanaging to empowering people. And so I work with a simple premise. I will trust the people. Why? Because I'm hiring the right people. I believe in them. I've done my research on them. I feel good about them. Um, you know, and, and then I, if that's why it takes me a while to bring somebody on, that's why I look for good people, not necessarily skilled people, because I'm going to empower them. And when you empower people, Deb, man, let me tell you what they do. They go out and they do what nobody's ever done in the in the Hollywood industry. Right. <laughs> See, right. it's, that's people. I didn't do that myself. I was empowering people. Well, and I'm guessing or assuming that a big part of it is still that you were so prepared that you gave them the right messages 
you know, all of these, you didn't just say, hey, go raise money. <laughs> you, know, you, you gave them the tools and then said, okay, now you can go with it. And then if they had questions, you, you would answer those questions. So they weren't on their own. But, and I think that's sometimes where people get lost too, is they just, they say, well, here, go do this. Or, you know, don't, don't you dare ask me questions. Um, you know, and, and so it's, it's all about, it comes back to being that team and, um, and managing it, you know, as, as the process goes. Yeah. Yes. I love that you said that, that as a leader, and I've developed, I coined the phrase called transformational leadership and now transformational transactions. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes it a step further from servant leadership. My philosophy on leadership is to lead from behind. Um, it's, it's not to win the race, not to run in front of everybody and, and say, follow me, I'm the leader. That's just, that's, to me, it doesn't work. Uh, as a leader, my job is to ensure that everybody is being inspired and that I'm creating culture within a company or a brand that is inspiring people to be who they are intended to be, to be doing mm-hmm. the things that they're great at. You can't do that from the front. You have to do that from, from behind. And what right. ends up happening is you become the last one to finish. You're the one, the last one to cross the finish line. And there's an old, there's an old uh, statement that Jesus made in that uh, couple thousand years ago that I thought was pretty pertinent to that. He said, if you want to be first, be last. And if you want to be last, be first. And the idea in leadership today is that you, you're there to inspire others to achieve. That's how you do great things and big things. And you have to be available. You have to be approachable. And, um, and I am as a leader. That's, you know, I say, look at the successes that we've had. Those aren't accidents. Those were leadership principles that I just mentioned that I applied. And, and, and individuals really vibrated and functioned at super high levels to do pretty incredible things. And so I always say I have tremendous belief in humanity and especially when you empower them, what they can achieve. Right. Well, and you know, it's tough and I'm, I'm kind of guessing that sometimes when you go into work with companies, that's one of the hardest things for a CEO, a manager, you know, a a producer, whatever the heck it is, the, the person in charge to get used to the fact that they're not that point person. You know, they're 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 the, the, the backup quarterback, so to speak. And and they're or you know, the they're there to really provide all of that groundwork. And you know, maybe maybe a better analogy, you know, go back to football is, you know, they're the coach. You know, they are the leader of the team, but they're the coach. But the players on the field is who get it who gets the job done. He has 11 players. You, you know, you can't do it yourself. This is, you can, and you can, you go out and you can play football by yourself. Uh, it doesn't mean you, it's, kind of boring. <laughs> it's really boring. And it's, you know, if you look at my website, one of my quotes is that I've had the privilege of doing everything that I've done with others. And right. that for me, you know, it's, it's always been my goal, whatever I'm going to do, take as many with me as possible. Um, because you're changing people's lives along the way. You know, it's, I would say it's not, if you're more concerned about what you're doing than who you're doing it with, you might want to sit back and just really evaluate that perspective. Um, because when you really are more interested about who you're doing it with, you will achieve tremendous things and, and you won't be stressed by the way. You're not, it's not going to be on your shoulders. Mm-hmm. Well, and for, you know, I think for everybody listening, if they think back, at when they were most successful and or most enjoyed what they were doing, it was because they were part of that team, because their boss empowered them, you know, all these various things. 
And I, then the hard part is when you're the boss. I mean, who the heck empowers you? I mean, that that is the the kind of the the twenty five thousand dollar question is, if I'm empowering the people around me, who's empowering me? Yeah, and that's well, see, and that's again, it's when you empower others around you, or it's 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 a level playing field, Deb. Right. You know, we forget that we we're not we don't supersede those around us because we have different skill sets as a leader. Like I know I am a very powerful leader. I know I, 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 I'm, a, I'm a thought leader, but that doesn't make me better or, or I need somebody to really. I get inspired by my teams. Mm-hmm. Why? Because I treat it's a culture. It's a community that you build. And, and these people are, are, are literally functioning at higher levels. And they're inspiring me. It becomes your family. And, mm-hmm. you know, so you don't have to go outside those circles. I, I, I hear, I'm not against this at all, but I hear a lot of leaders and CEOs go to all these events, these mastermind events around the world, around the country to sit with people at the same level as them. Well, let me explain something to you. The problem is you're not taking those people back to your, to your business. Right. So, so either you get used to who you're working with because that's who you're responsible for and it's where it's going to come from. I know mm-hmm. one leader here in, Ca- in Pasadena that this guy spends, I think, close to $100,000 on going to these events. And I've been in his company and it's a disaster, literal disaster. And I look and I say, how much more are you going to spend? Because right. you ain't, you- he's looking for that magic bullet. Yeah. And he's not, and he's, it's, it's, you know, it's, he needs, you know, it's hit, the bullet's hitting him in the foot, it's right. Achilles, because it's not happening in his company. And it doesn't matter how much you spend a year, <laughs> you ain't, you're not bringing, you're not doing anything when you come back to these people. It's the people around you that are going to get you where you need to go. And mm-hmm. um, you got to care about it. Right. Well, and it's funny, I saw something just on Facebook today that said, Every, excuse me, I'll do this again so that I don't have the frog in my throat. Every person you meet knows something you don't, so learn from them. And I just, I saw that, and I went, isn't that cool? That's, that is so true. Mm-hmm. By far. I, 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 and that's that, but that's, Deb, that's a mindset, right? That's, that's a, that's a, that's a worldview. And, um, I say it a million times and I'll say it again in this show. I, like, Taught my kids growing up, what I live, I teach my teams. You listen to everyone. Listen Mm -hmm. to everyone and follow no one. Follow no one. But you listen to all people because everyone's got something. Mm -hmm. And and we really want to emphasize everyone in that statement because – you know, that the business leaders who think, well, I can only associate with other CEOs or, you know, all these various things. And, and sometimes it's just, you know, maybe what they have is a smile for you or, you know, something like that. Because, you know, the, the second we start layering ourselves off from other people is when we truly do lose those connections. You do. If you lose human connection at those levels, then you're you're in trouble because you're not you're not hiring a CEO. You you have enough trouble working with people that you think are inferior to you, let alone somebody that's as good as you in your mind. You can't work with mm-hmm. that person, right? And that's the thing. You know, CEOs get very very, you know, um, threatened by other comp competent leaders at their level. So, right. you know, and they, yet they, you know, they want to be, they want to go to masterminds with other people at their levels. I mean, you, you gotta, you have to go back and work with the people and your job as a leader is to empower people and help them develop and grow. And you do that through inspiration. Right. 
It's funny when you were saying that. I remember I worked for a company one time where we had co-CEOs. Oh, that was a disaster. I mean, it was in, in so many ways. It was a disaster. And the, the parent company basically did that to figure out which one would come out ahead. I mean, that really was their goal. And they knew it and everybody else knew it. And it was kind of like you were pitting the, the parents against each other. And, um, you know, and, and, and it really was a disaster. And I think that's probably one of the things that happens is we compete with the other people, whether it's, um, you know, the, the people in a networking group or the other CEOs or the other people, even the people that sell the, the same type of product or service that you do. When we get in that competition and I have to beat them no matter what mindset then, you know, again, we're not learning from them. And, and it's it just it is such a negative thing. It is. You know, if you look at my teams today, they're, they're, they're mostly millennials. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to be 54 in a few weeks. And yet I work with millennials right. easily because it, I, I embrace the same, the same tenets of belief that they do. You know, mm-hmm. It's not about necessarily what we're doing, other rather than who we're doing it with. And then you do care about what you're doing because you care about who you're doing it with, and you all have a common goal, and you want that goal to succeed, right? So it doesn't mean that what you're doing is not important. It just means it's it's the second most important thing. Right. And right. if and if the first most important thing is each other, then guess what's gonna guess what's gonna come to fruition? The second most important thing. And so I love working with millennials and I, you know, I don't have, they're empowered. I continually empower them. They, they drive what I do. It's their ideas mm-hmm. um, that literally help me launch to the next level. Right. Well, Greg, we've only got about five minutes left. So tell us, you know, what's next for you? Because, you know, we've got people who are thinking, oh my gosh, you know, you raise gazillions of dollars and, and all these things. What about helping just, you know, the, you know, somebody who's not at that level? You know, do you have plans to, to implement programs like that? I do. You know, we've been doing that. You know, I'm working with a group here in Los Angeles. I'm working mm-hmm. with a lot of um, young entrepreneurs and thought leaders Great. to launch their companies with advising. And I have a, I have a team now again under the Greg Centineo company that we're – getting content out worldwide so that we can provide some of the things that we spoke about today, go into depth on those things and how to really help people really make their dreams and turn their dreams into reality. And so I love doing that. I had done this my whole life. You know, um, like I said, you, you, I love what you said that everyone keeps thinking we did. I did. I only work with big projects. No, I start those projects are backyard projects, which means they start from nothing. Mm-hmm. idea and we build them to what you see so i always love working you know with people you know whether small companies mid-sized companies or just ideas and uh, able to kind of inspire and and help you know through our my experiences my team's experiences to get them to the next level right and a startup is a startup is a startup whether it's you know they want to make a multi-million dollar film or they just want to have a great little company that is their passion in life yeah, you know, I'll finish with this, Deb. My son Noah is an actor here in Los Angeles, uh, Noah Centineo. He's on a show called The Fosters. And I say that because, you know, he's obviously was brought up around me. He actually, we moved him out to L.A. when he was 15, and he's done a great job. But he sees all of the companies and all of the achievements, and he's, he's listened at privy to be in tr- my, my presence to see us build these things. And so it's funny. A few months ago, he was. I was talking to him, and you know, he's he's a little entrepreneur himself. But he was like, he felt like he hasn't accomplished anything in his life because he's looking at 
what, what I do. And I looked at him and I said, are you kidding me? I said, Noah, you're a startup. I said, you, you want to, you want to, he's a business. He's a business. I said, you're, you, you started from nothing. You said, dad, you need to move me out to LA at 14 At 15. You were in LA. And I said, you're 21. Now you're on one of the biggest shows in free form. You've been on five or six movies, Disney movies. You've been in the Disney channel. I said, you're, you're, you're now being, being courted by some of the biggest agencies in the world and managers. And you're 21. I said, do you understand you started something from nothing and you can look at where it is today? You're, you're a leader. You're a business person. And, he, and all of a sudden, Dad, in his mind, he looked and he said, Dad, I never looked at that. I said, bro, bro I said, you're a brilliant entrepreneur. He is the CEO of him. That's right. So for everybody out there, look, be encouraged, man. Live your dream. You know, everything. And by the way, everything that you want, everything that you want is on the other side of fear. <laughs> so, so go get it, man. And and it's funny, you know, fear, you know, we've, we've said it the, you know, through the program, fear is not a bad thing, folks. You know, it's, it, it does make you take precautions so that you don't fall off that cliff or off that building. Um, but really, it's what pushes you forward to succeed. You know, I, this is, we didn't talk about this maybe next time, Deb, but I, I love talking about emotional and social intelligence. Right. Really important, you know, and that refers to the competencies that are linked to self-awareness, you know, and self-management. And really important because, you know, you don't hear that very often, you know, but social intelligence, emotional intelligence, really important aspect to growing. And um, and you'll start to really manage your, your own emotions. You'll build your self-awareness, which is, you know, I talk about confidence, right? I talk about mm -hmm. conviction and so forth. These are really important concepts to really get in tune with. Right. You know, I love it. I'm looking on your website, which again is gregcentineo.com, and you have your son as listed under the startup companies. I just think that's so cool. <laughs> Ain't that great? I love him. And, and he is. He is a business. You know, and, and, and it doesn't matter if he's an actor or if he's someone who wants to be a speaker or someone who wants to, you know, have be a chef or whatever. And, and that's one of the things I tell people is you are your own business, no matter what. Yes. Yes, you are. You're, you are it. Tag, you're it. Right. I love it. Well, Greg, tell us one more time how people find you and connect with you online. You know, it's, you know, go to my Twitter, Greg Centineo, at Greg Centineo. Um, you know, look me up on Facebook, Centineo. My website, gregcentineo.com. Um, if you want to email me, email me. I don't, it makes a difference. I don't check them anyway, but Greg, Greg at gregcentineo.com is my email. Um, I, I will check emails eventually, but, um, you know, I have a, if you want to reach out, if you have some needs, um, you need some, you know, some consultation. We love, we love doing that with companies. We love, you know, a little bit hands on, and uh, and and implementing the things that we talk about into into great leaders and and entrepreneurs. Great. Well, I look forward to having you on again and to hearing more about what what is coming for you in the future and and all those various things. And so, really, let's 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 do this again. Absolutely, Deb. I so appreciate. Thank you for having me on the platform, and thanks to your audience for listening. 
This has been absolutely fabulous. I am Deb Creer. I've been having a great time talking with Greg Centineo. And until next time, everyone have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us next time for more real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.